week five of Beyond Limits. We're, we're making it. We're making it. Six weeks of a scriptural journey into embracing supernatural possibility. And so each week kind of builds upon the last week. And so I have to give a little bit of a background to kind of just get us refreshed as to uh, where we are this week, week five. And so let me just give like a quick idea of how far we've come. So we started off by talking about having to essentially humble ourselves in the way of admission that we don't know all things about Yahweh and all things about the faith. Because when pride gets in the way, pride puffs up. If we think we have all the knowledge, well, then we think there's nothing else that we can learn. And so essentially the prerequisite for this journey is that we have an open heart and an open mind and that we source from Jesus or Christ alone by the Spirit in us to reveal to us all truth. And so we have to put aside all of the other ways that we've tried to gain truth and source from the one place, right? And then very quickly we talk about Yahweh inviting us into relationship with him, and he has a heart's desire and a will for us. And that we saw last week how the Lord can reveal specific will, will, and we called those blueprints. So Noah got blueprints for an ark. Ezekiel got blueprints for the temple. Uh, Moses got blueprints for the tabernacle, that kind of idea. So as we're in relationship with Yahweh and he's revealing things to us, revealing his will, then we can have very specific things that he calls us to do. We're all part of this bigger plan. And so we just have to also grasp the idea and believe that we have a place in building the kingdom. The Lord invites us into that. We have a purpose. Um, And so we have to essentially get beyond the idea that we're not good enough or we've, we're too far off or we've sinned too much. You know the message. Oftentimes we disqualify ourselves just based on the things that we think about ourselves, but the truth is the Lord, he's called us and he invites us into that. And so there's no question whether or not we have a place in bringing the kingdom forth. And so this week, Week five, we're going to be talking about the idea of as the Lord invites us into that relationship and then gives us mission and invites us to bring forth kingdom, that he literally, I don't know why I said literally, that he gives all of, essentially all of heaven's resources to us to be able to accomplish what he's called us or tasked us to accomplish that we have access to all of those things. Even if we don't feel like we have what we need now, the truth is we have access. Scripture says that we have not because we ask not. not. Jesus says, seek and find, ask and be given to you, knock and the door will be opened. Um, In the story of the prodigal son, we talked about this just very briefly last week, but the father says to the son in the field, I've always been with you. And everything that I have is yours. And so we know also in Scripture it talks about how we have access to the full inheritance in Christ Jesus. And so access, 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 that we have access to those things. Um, And so I want to talk about a couple of what those things are. But week five is titled Heavenly Resources. 
And so the Lord gives us exactly what we need in order to fulfill this destiny. Last week we talked about destiny, that there's a destiny that's fulfilled in us as we're conformed into the image of Christ. And then there's a destiny that's fulfilled through us as we seek the Lord in relationship and we are, we in communication get a hold of the good deeds that he prepared for us that we should walk in them. Um, in Romans 12, then it talks about offering your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Then we can discern what the pleasing and perfect will of God is. And so, again, there's that idea. What is the will of God? And as we get that, well, then here's the thing. The Lord doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves when he calls us to build his kingdom. We have access to everything that we need. So I want to talk about, number one, the Spirit of God, first and foremost, and I believe that that's, this is probably a poor phrase, but it's the best I could come up with, that the Spirit of God is the number one resource from heaven that he gives us to fulfill this destiny, that he gives us his Spirit. Jesus talks all about sending the Spirit. John 16, it's a, it, it, there's a lot about sending the Spirit, and here's what the Spirit's going to do. Uh, Romans is filled with this idea that if by the Spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, we'll live. Um, those who live by the Spirit are children of God. Um, by the Spirit, by the Spirit, not by the flesh. We don't live in the order, in the way of the law anymore. We've put that away, but now we live in the new way of the Spirit. So the Spirit is this new thing, essentially in Scripture, that we read that is the, the Spirit of God filling every believer and empowering him to be able to do the things that God has called him to do. Him or them, she, they, her, it. <laughs> and so just looking back at Ephesians 3.20 real quick. Now to him who's able to do far beyond all that we ask or imagine. This is our foundation verse. And again, that idea that the Father is able to do far more than we can ask or imagine. So essentially we tend to be limited in our thinking and limited in our asking. He can do beyond that. And it says, by means of his power that works in us. Now, what is that power? It's the power of the Spirit. And so this word Spirit or Holy Spirit is that, that Hebrew phrase, Ruach HaKodesh, and it means like set apart, holy means set, set apart, separated, right? We talked about Jesus coming and he separates his church. He calls, out, he calls people out from and then into. He comes and he heralds a kingdom. He says the kingdom of God is here. And when people receive and accept that good news, then they begin to believe into that new kingdom system and that new kingdom order. And so as we are called into relationship, with the Father, he seals us, marks us with the Holy Spirit, and then we are set apart, marked and sealed as the holy people of God or the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones who are called to govern and be a governing entity on the face of the earth. And so this is, I believe, the number one thing that happens in us is that we receive that power of the Spirit to work in us and work through us. So, Scripture will say a couple of different things. Let me just forecast so you know where we're going. Uh, the children of God are born of the Spirit. We receive truth from the Spirit. We receive power from the Spirit. 
We are led by the Spirit, and we are, we are given gifts by the Spirit. This is definitely not an exhaustive list of all of the things that the Spirit provides or does for um, the believer, but we're just going to touch on a couple of these, and I'll breeze through some of them because we've already hit on a couple in the past weeks. But I just want to kind of give a, um, a quick run-through of the Spirit of God and how He, Holy Spirit, works through us. So John 3, 5 talks about us being born of the Spirit. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So our entrance into the kingdom of God is that we are born of the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. And I just, I love that idea. So when we're born of the Spirit, Scripture says that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The kainos has come. We are actually new beings. We're not human with a, with a fleshy, sinful will anymore that is unredeemed. We are now a kainos new creation that's never existed before with Christ as being the firstborn of many brethren. We are kainos. We are completely and wholly new with that spirit. And so here's what happens is when that spirit of God comes and, and, and we're born again and we're born into the kingdom of God, well, then we have again access to the resources of that kingdom. We have access to the king. We partake in the king's will. We receive all of the good things that the king does for the kingdom. We are citizens of that kingdom. And so our citizenship changes. Where, we res where, where our resources come from, where our sustenance, how we're led, the laws of the land, the rule and the reign of the kingdom shifts. So Jesus talks about his kingdom not being a kingdom of the earth. It's the kingdom of God. And so when Christ comes, he's heralding a message and he's saying, the kingdom of repent, change the way you think because the kingdom of God has come, which means all of the rules and regulations and order and law that once existed in that kingdom before the kingdom of God came now go away and they are superseded by the new law and the new order of that kingdom. And it's a supernatural kingdom. It's a kingdom born of spirit. My kingdom's not of this earth. And so at the foundation of this thing, it's supernatural. So all through scripture, all through history, we get an idea of what earthly kingdoms look like. God even mandated, right? Well, he, in response to the hard-heartedness of the people, he responded and gave them a king. And he said, here's how kings are going to rule and here's what that's going to be like. And they're going to be for their benefit and they're going to make your children work and you're going to have to pay them and there's going to be laws and taxes and all this stuff. And they're like, give us a king. We want a king. So he set up kingdoms, right? That's where we get first and second kings. And, and then the kingdom split and all that stuff happens. But then Jesus, king of the Jews, comes and says there's a new king in town. Things look different. We see Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, where he begins to say, blessed are those who... 
Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those. He's saying it's a new kind of reign, it's a new kind of rule, it's a new kind of kingdom. So the way that things functioned before, they don't function like that anymore. That's what I believe Paul talks about when he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world or to the pattern of this age. There's an age that we've lived in where there's been earthly governments and earthly kingdoms and people put in place and all this kind of stuff. And, Jesus, and the scripture's telling us, don't be conformed to that pattern. There's, a, there's an era, there's an age that exists that is that kingdom age where we supersede the natural and function from a supernatural place. Okay? So, what I love about this one scripture here where it says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. I think that's Jesus kind of giving an idea of what it's going to be like the people of God who have the Spirit of God on them. That I just want to use the word wackadoo. Like, it's going to look like something that just essentially you can't control. Like, the Spirit of God will lead people in such a way that you can't control them because they're only controlled or obedient to one master. And the wind blows, it comes and it goes, and you see what it's done, but there's not really any... What's the word I'm looking for? There's not really any controlling it. I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And I think one of the, this is a tangent, by the way. I think one of the issues in the church today is that when you get someone filled with the Spirit and they're just doing what the Lord's telling them to do, it typically doesn't fit a box that's already existed. And what you'll hear pastors say is, well, they're out there doing that thing. That just, that doesn't fit our vision. That's not the vision of our church. Right? We have a vision statement, and so we're going to be, this is going to be it, and this is what we do. Hey, pastor, man, I really feel like the Lord's leading me to start this ministry and do this thing, and boom, 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 and man, I'm excited, and they're like ready to go, and they're fired up. There's life. There's joy. They want to move. They want to go. The Spirit's saying, go, 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 and they're like, I need to go, and then the pastor's like, ah, well, you know, we just don't do that here. I think that idea, Jesus is just saying, look, it's, it's, it's going to look like something that's really not going to fit a box you're okay with. It's like, it's like the wind that just, whoosh, it just whips through. You're like, whoa. And I think Jesus just, I mean, that, to me, that's like, that's, to me, that just yells freedom, right? Just this freedom to come and go and to move. There's no boundaries. There's no you know what I mean? The Lord's going to do what he wants with the people that he calls. And he's going to put his spirit on them. And what happens and what they accomplish is going to be supernatural accomplishment. It's not going to be anything that can be done out of the flesh. All throughout the Old Testament, what's interesting is we get this idea of the Spirit of God coming and resting on somebody for a moment that empowers them to do something according to God's will but it's this coming and then a going. The Spirit of God came on them, and then they accomplished something. But now, 
That spirit, same spirit that he was using to empower people all through the Old Testament has now come on us. And one of my favorite scriptures is where it says that Elijah was a man just like us. Do you remember some of the great feats of Elijah? Some of the things that he, was he not the one who said, called fire down from heaven that lapped up all the water in the trench and all the wood and, right? And he defeated all the, the prophets of Baal. He did all kinds of things. He was the one that was taken up in a chariot of fire into heaven. And so the scripture says Elijah was a man just like us. But what was it about Elijah that set him apart as a prophet of God was that the spirit of God was on him. And this how, was how it was with all the prophets. And then we get, and then we get, uh, hold on one second. Are you guys, am I breaking up? Am I good? It looked like I was having an internet issue. Internet is unstable. So, I just think about that. I just want to hammer down on that for a second. Just what, what is possible for a person who's been filled with the Spirit of God? You know, I was having some conversation this week. I, I, I'm going off script, you guys. It's okay. <laughs> I was having a conversation this week with somebody, and we were just talking about a powerless gospel. And the idea that, you know, if we haven't experienced the power of God, then I think maybe we've embraced a powerless message. Or somewhere along the way we've limited something or we've put something into a box or we've, we haven't believed, we haven't faithed enough, something, I don't know. Just this idea that, and I, I said it last week or the week before, that it's going to be difficult for us to start to endeavor into the impossible when we don't even believe in what is actually possible. Right, And so that's why I ask the question, what is possible with someone who is, has had the Spirit of God come upon them? And you look at Jesus, and Jesus said, greater things will you do because I go to the Father. It's better that I go to the Father because if I didn't, then I wouldn't send the Spirit to you. But with the Spirit of God on Yeshua, in Isaiah, we see that he came to set the captive free, to free the oppressed, to heal the brokenhearted, to cause us to walk in the ways of the Father, to invite us into relationship with Yahweh. Like, there's so much that he came to do in that very spirit. So the plan, and we talked about this a little bit, is that Jesus ascended into heaven and he sent his spirit so that we could continue to be the body of of Christ on the earth doing what the head is saying leading us to do by the spirit in us and so I just find it hard to believe that if you look at Jesus's ministry and then he says you're going to go do these things and then more 
and then the Spirit of God is in us, is it not possible that we can do the things that He did and then greater? That's just, I mean, it's a simple question, but we have to ask, like, why not? You know, I had somebody ask me earlier this week, they said, you know, why, why is the church not healing people? Why is the church not raising the dead, healing the sick, doing these things? And I was like, well, you probably mean the church in America, first and foremost. But I said, you've got people, I'll just put it out there, you've got people like Todd White who are walking the streets healing people, but then we question his methods and his doctrine. You know, we ask, why is this not happening? But then the people who are out there doing it, we, we don't believe it. We just don't believe it. This idea that I, I've talked about this before, I think that those who don't believe in the supernatural or in miracles are actually blind to the supernatural and miracles. A miracle could happen right in front of their face and they'll write it off or they won't even see it because they're blind to it because they don't believe in it, right? The things you, you see, you, you believe in the things that you see. And you see the things you believe in. Christine, you talk a lot about angels, and I hope I'm going to get to angels tonight because it's one of my favorite things to talk about. But if we don't believe that there are angels that still interact with us, do you ever think you're going to see an angel? The belief will, the lack of belief will blind you to seeing that. Jesus could only perform certain miracles or a few miracles in his hometown, right? Because of their lack of faith because of the lack of belief. And so the people weren't going to get to see those things because they didn't even believe that they could actually happen. And I just, going back to that one scripture about Jesus saying that um, the wind blows where it wishes, you'll hear it sound, but you don't know where it's come from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit that those who are born of the Spirit, there's not going to be any corralling. There's not going to be any box. There's not going to be any limits there's not going to be any boundaries of what the Lord can do through such an individual, right? So let's get rocking and rolling. Romans 8, 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And so he is our Abba, our Father in heaven, and we are his children in John, um, I think it's First John chapter 3, consider what great love the Father has for us that we should be called children of God. Um, I love that. So the Spirit of God is on us. We are His children. So we have a Father in heaven who loves us. Um, John sixteen seven. just to hit on this real quick. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I am going to the Father, and you will no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the rule of this world has been judged. And then he says, I still have much more to tell you, but you cannot handle it now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will tell you. And he will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that the Ruach will take from what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit will be actively speaking and leading us and guiding us into truth. And I used to minimize this part, but you just can't because it says it. He will show you things to come. 
the Spirit of God will show you things to come. What does that mean? That if something's going to happen and God wants you to know that it's going to happen, he'll tell you it's going to happen. <laughs> oh, you mean future telling? Well, sure, in that instance, if that's what you want to call it, but we're not talking about future telling, fortune telling. Don't get it twisted. Just because Satan perverted something doesn't mean the believer can't harness it in its pure form and use it for the building of the kingdom. Oh, the spirit, what? He showed you something? No, I don't, I don't believe that. No, that's, you better be careful with that stuff. Jesus said he would show you things to come. So do we believe him or do we not believe him? Or is it contextual? Well, that's different. Or that was for then. Well, you believe what you want, bro. Don't you like how I come up with a figurative person that I just argue with? It's like, <laughs> this guy right here, this guy. Can you believe him? Whatever, dude. So Acts 1, 8 through 11. So this is talking about receiving power. But you will receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and throughout all Judah and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And after saying this while they were watching, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. While they were staring into heaven as he went up, suddenly two men stood with him in white clothing. They said, men of Galilee, why do you keep standing here staring into heaven? This Yeshua who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And so... Just the idea here is that Jesus says, you're going to receive power and you're going to be my witnesses. So back in um, the end of Matthew, he talks about, or we get the Great Commission, go into all the world preaching, right? Go into all the world, um, what does he say? Baptizing them. <laughs> Baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all that I've commanded you, and surely I'll be with you to the end of the age. So he said, surely I will be with you. I will not leave you as orphan orphans. So the Spirit comes and empowers them to go and be the witnesses in accordance to what Jesus had commanded them. So he says, go and do this thing. He says, here's my will for you, and then he empowers them by the Spirit to go and do that will. Now, when he says, go and preach to the ends of the earth, some of these people, maybe they knew three languages, but they probably knew Hebrew and Aramaic and something else. What was it? Greek, right, yeah, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. They might have known three languages. But let me tell you, there were more languages that existed on the face of the planet at that time. So if I'm a disciple and I'm hearing from Christ, I need to go preach to, all, to the ends of the earth to all these different people, then I'm wondering how I'm going to communicate with people who don't speak the language that I speak. And so what we get in Acts chapter 2 is what? Tongues, the infilling of the Spirit so that they're speaking in tongues. And all the Jews from all over the world who have traveled to be there for Pentecost are hearing them glorify God in their native tongue. And so go preach to people even though you don't know their language. Well, how are we going to do that? Spirit, boom, speaking a language I've never spoken before to do the thing that the Lord empowered, called me to do, Right? Super cool. The other thing that happens in this moment, I love this story in, in Pentecost. So at Pentecost, they would celebrate the handing down of the law from the mountain to Moses and then having given it to the people. So they would commemorate this. Oh, we got the law. It was this amazing thing. Moses was on the mountain. He heard from God. Now we have the words of God, the law, the tablets. And so in Ezekiel, um, is it Ezekiel? I think it's Ezekiel. He says, 
uh, the Lord's prophesying, and he's saying, I'm going to write my law on your heart. I'm going to take your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, and I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways, to be obedient to all I've commanded. So we always knew that the struggle for man was to live according to the law. The law couldn't, the law could only stoke sin, right? It was it wasn't able to give us the power to actually live according to it, right? We can't live according to the scriptures just by continually reading the scriptures. The Bible alone does not have the power to get to allow us to walk in obedience to it. It it does not contain that power. It's the spirit of God. That's why he said, "I'm going to cause you to walk in my way." So I have to put my law on your heart. And I have to send you my spirit to cause you to walk in my ways, to be, be obedient to all I've commanded. So at Pentecost, you have all these people coming and celebrating, and they're saying, oh, commemorate the law, the law given by Moses. And then, boom, the spirit comes. Essentially, the new era of now the spirit in, indwelling us, empowering us to now walk in obedience to what the Lord has commanded, writing his law on our hearts by his spirit. And so it's like that day of Pentecost, as we know it, replaced essentially that commemorating of the giving of the Torah. Now we celebrate the coming and the infilling of the church by the Holy Spirit, the empowerment to go and be witnesses. So um, Acts 16.6, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So this is the Spirit leading us and guiding us. So the disciples are going out on a missionary journey. They've been told to preach the word in all of the earth, even to the ends of the earth. They're going, and the Spirit of God is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not going to Asia right now. But you told us to go everywhere, right? Isn't that, isn't that the thing we do? We say it's commanded. It's in Scripture. It says that we have to do this. So now we just need to go, and wherever we go, and however we get there, and whoever we take with us, like, it, it's all fair game. We're just being obedient to the Word, except the disciples who were being obedient were actually still being led by the Spirit and not allowed to go to Asia. The disciples... They fasted and prayed, and the Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. The Spirit said, set them apart. Right? Um, Paul has a dream, and then he's sent um, to go uh, minister in a place to where they were actually calling him. What was, what was the name of that? I can't remember now. Hold on. He has a dream. And he sees a guy from another nation saying, come over here. I can't remember which one it was. But so the Spirit leads through dreams and visions. And we'll talk a little bit about that if we can get to it. Oh, Macedonia. Sorry. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. It's on my notes. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul had seen the vision. Immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul had a vision. They're trying to go. The Holy Spirit keeps them from going to Asia. Paul has a vision. He sees a man from Macedonia calling him to go. So then he says, oh, okay, that was the Lord leading me. God gave me a vision to go now to Macedonia. And so just this idea that the Spirit of God will lead and guide us. He'll say, don't go there, go here. 
And it doesn't say exactly how the Spirit stopped him from going Asia to Asia, but very specifically it says that Paul was given a vision of a man in Macedonia, and so he went to Macedonia. I mean, how, how, how do you control that? As a church, how do you control the Lord telling people where to go and what to do? You don't. You just don't. He does what he wants according to his will and according to his plan. He's going to do it however he wants. Dreams, visions, we see later in Acts, Peter starts to, to quote Joel. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, prophesy, dreams, visions, all these things. The Spirit of God comes. Listen, you can't control what the Spirit of God does when it fills somebody. Because that's just a different, that's, that's another attribute, another plan that the Lord has, another person that he's impressing his image upon and empowering them to do the things that he commands and that he desires. And you just don't know what's going to come out of somebody when the Spirit of God falls on them. There's no box you can put them in, right? He's, man, I'm having visions. I'm supposed to go to Zimbabwe. Oh, well, you know, we just don't really have a team that goes to Zimbabwe. You know what I mean? So let me just breeze through this because I want to get to uh, to angels. So 1 Corinthians 12.4 just talks about the gifts of the Spirit. So there's different kinds of gifts. The Lord will manifest himself through people that have different kinds of gifts to accomplish different kinds of of tasks. It's all in accordance to the mission and the will that he has for those individual people. Judges um, 6.19. So we're going to start talking about at this point. Um, so the primary resource from heaven, I believe, is the Spirit of God in us, on us, working through us, empowering us to do everything that he's called us to do supernaturally, visions, dreams, healings, giftings, teachings, giving, helping, serving, prophesying, all these things we all do as the Spirit leads us according to the plan that the Father has for us. But then the other thing that we have access to, and I've talked about this idea of heavenly resources, the Spirit comes from heaven to fill us, but then we have access to all of what heaven has, and I'm not even going to go into like storehouses of heaven, libraries of heaven, all of that stuff. But we know that our father is commander of angel armies. Or Jesus, we knew that he could have called legions on his behalf. But he didn't. But he could have. So is it possible that Jesus can command legions? Absolutely. Yahweh created the angels to be messengers and to accomplish tasks and to do the things that he created them to do. And we're going to look at a little bit of what they accomplish. And so Judges chapter 6, verse 19 through 23. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephob of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. So now there's an angel of God that is speaking to Gideon, commanding him of what to do with these cakes and this meat, right? And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand. So we have an angel who has a staff. He's manifested from heaven. An angel of God came from heaven 
he manifests, begins to speak to Gideon words, instructing him of what to do with these items that he has. The angel has a staff that is manifested in the physical or punches through the physical spiritual barrier and then actually affects the physical. Right? Is this not what's happening? He says, uh, the Lord, uh, the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. So you've got Gideon, I've got unleavened cakes, and then this angel appears and all of a sudden his staff is now affecting the physical in front of me. So we just want to talk about what's possible. And so it says, um, he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and unleavened cakes. So now you have supernatural manifestation of fire from a rock consuming physical things that was brought about by an angel of the Lord. So again, this really interesting supernatural happening. And it says, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. So boom, angel's gone. He didn't like walk off or turn the corner or get on a donkey and gallop away or slowly mosey away. He vanished, right? So there's a, there is a manifesting and then a coming out of and then going back into a spiritual realm by angels. Manifesting and then affecting the physical and causing supernatural fire to consume physical objects. So just whatever you want to do with that. And then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Let's look at Daniel eight fifteen through 19. We kind of get the same, the same instance, but there's a little bit of a, um, a detail that I want to point out that's really interesting. It says, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, and it called Gabriel, Make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell to my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, he, uh, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. So the Lord is using angels to reveal will to Daniel and to interpret a vision. So God has commanded the angel. So you've got Daniel. Daniel's having, having a vision, supernatural. We know that's going to happen, right? I mean, do, I believe that. The Lord shows people. Jesus said he'll show you things to come, the Spirit, right? So Daniel is having this vision that the Lord gave him. He just seeks to perceive the vision. Basically, oh, man, I saw this image. And then he's like, you know, I really want to know what that means. And then God says, go tell him what it means. And so Gabriel, this angel, then appears and says, hey, here's what this vision means. And then Daniel falls on the floor, face to the ground, essentially passes out. And then the angel again punches through that spiritual, physical barrier and wakes Daniel up. And I think it says that he brings him to his feet, right? But he touched the lat. Wait, what did he say? Uh, but he touched me and made me stand up. So the angel is causing Daniel to stand up. So 
I have a vision that I need interpreted. I don't really know what this means. The Lord desired to make known the meaning of that vision, and so he recruited an angel. Hey, go go tell him what this means. So that's interesting to me. Let's look at Revelation 1, 1 through 3. The revelation of Yeshua the Messiah, which God had gave him to show to his servants the things that soon must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So the purpose of this book of Revelation is because Yeshua the Messiah desires to reveal something to his people so that they know the things that are going to happen. And he will show you things to come. The Spirit of God can show us things to come. It's called a revelation. It's something that is being revealed to us. Revelation is nothing but something the Lord is communicating to us that he wants us to know. He is just revealing something to us that we didn't know beforehand. He's just communicating to us, right? And I'll, I'll say all the time, God showed me, and people are like, what, what? And I'm like, he just gave me understanding. But then sometimes he shows me, and I like have an image, and then there's an interpretation to the image. Here's what, here's what that means. I asked him, well, what does that mean? And then he told me what that means. And people freak out all the time. What do you mean, God? So you had a what, and where's that in Scripture? Listen, God does this. Go read your Scripture, this is what he does. Sorry. <laughs> so um, he made it known by sending his angel to the servant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Yeshua, the Messiah, to everything he saw. How fortunate is the one who reads the word of this prophecy and those who hear and keep what has been written for the time is near. So what happens in Revelation, if you've ever read it, the angel essentially guides John through the heavenly realm showing him things that have happened and things that are taking place and things that are to come. Is that, pro is that a good statement, that in Revelation we see past, present, and future? Maybe. I don't know. At least present and future, for sure. Things that are taking place, things... And you know what's interesting... I was talking about this the other day that, um, you know, Jesus goes on in Revelation and he gives words to the churches and he says to the church of, to the church of, to the church of, very contextual, very specific to that group of people in that context and that society with the issues they were dealing with, with their hearts. Jesus is saying to this church. And then he says, those who have ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So John gets the revelation, but Jesus is speaking and he says, to those who have ears, let them hear. Not to you, John, who's listening now, let you hear. So Jesus is speaking to the churches. John just so happens at that point, he's, get, he's picking up the signal. He's listening. He's tuned in. He's there, and he's hearing what Jesus is saying to the churches. But Jesus is making a call to those, have, to those who have ears to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, let's just talk about when we read. So Paul wrote the epistles, and what are those? Those are letters to the church. It's a specific word to the churches that existed in that time to address specific contextual issues that that church was dealing with at that time and place. 
And so I'm going to say, not that we can't gain principle from the epistles, but we are literally reading someone else's mail, right? To the church of Ephesus, Paul, an apostle called by Christ Jesus for the glory of the Father. It is addressed to that church in that time. So in one instance, we have physical letters that were written to a church in a time. And then we've got Jesus who's speaking a word to a church and he's saying, if you have ears, let them hear what the Spirit's saying. And so my question is, are the letters of Paul still speaking to the church today or is the voice of Yahweh calling out to those who may have ears to hear? To address a very specific instance, people, place, time, and issue. I'm just asking questions. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, anyways, I got off on Revelation. Uh, if we look at Matthew 1, just a couple of other instances. Joseph, an angel of the Lord, appears to Joseph in a dream saying, Don't fear, take Mary as your wife, um, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son. Um, and so G uh, Joseph woke from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. So the Lord is using angels now to interact with people in dreams and give them commands, right? So in one instance, we've got Daniel who has an angel appear to him to interpret a vision. Another time we've got Gideon who's making food and then an angel appears and then consumes the food. And then now we've got in Revelation, an angel that appears to John to walk him through the heavenlies to show him things to come so the people of God will know what's happening. In the story of Joseph, we've got an angel coming and speaking him to, to him in a dream. So Joseph's asleep, right? I mean, that's kind of what I interpret here when Joseph woke from sleep. So he's asleep. He's not even conscious. He's out. But his spirit's engaging with an angel, getting information about what he needs to go and do. I love this week because I just get to present issues or present things that happen, and then I just ask the question, what's possible? What has God done? Well, God's not doing that anymore. Well, tell me in Scripture where it says that God's not being the person he was yesterday. Oh, you mean the Scripture says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? So he is still doing it or he's not still doing it? Which one are you going to want to put in my face for me to believe? You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to be a jerk. Yeah, I'm a little salty. But it, to me, some of these arguments just are absurd sometimes. Like, why are you trying to box God in? What, what good does it do for you to just decide that none of this stuff can happen anymore? What does that accomplish for you? What happens when you take that idea, that doctrine, that theology, and then you apply it to everyone everywhere? What would the world look like if they were all discipled to your belief system? Man, what a boring kingdom. Sorry. What a boring kingdom. You know? Um. Luke chapter 2, verse 13 through 16, and suddenly there was the angel of a, of a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So we get this interesting instance where you have the shepherds who are out in the field, and all of a sudden they see 
a heavenly host. So there's vision that's taking place. They're seeing, and then they're hearing the host singing, right, this song. And then it says, when the angels went away from them into heaven. So this idea that they came from heaven. So again, there's a manifesting of not just one angel, but a host of angels from the heavenlies into the earth, saying things to where we're seeing and hearing and listening, and then seeing them go back to where they came, and then perceiving with our mind, as the shepherds did, that the Lord has told us something, that they have actually received the angels as a messenger. They've seen the angels for the purpose for which they've sent. And this is where people like to get things twisted. Just because you say you see an angel or you heard an angel or you listened to an angel or an angel revealed something to you or showed you something or took you somewhere or touched you or lifted you up or interpreted a vision, people are going to be like, well, you know, we're not supposed to worship angels. Where, anywhere, did anybody say anything about worshiping angels? There was a time where angels did appear And then they fell to the feet and they said, don't worship me. It was John. John fell at the angel's feet. And he said, no, no, get up, man. I come from the Lord. I'm with you in this. Right? So the angel corrected him. So let me just say, if it's an angel of the Lord, you will be corrected not to worship him. That's what I, I mean, I'm just going to say that. If it's not an angel of the Lord, they're going to take all the glory they can get because they don't want the father to get the glory he deserves. So, what is possible? Acts 5, 17 through 21, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail. So again, you have an angel, who is this spiritual heavenly being, affecting the physical, and then, re- and then essentially rescuing the, uh, the disciples from the jail. And he says, go and stand in the temple courts and tell the people about this new life. And at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. So they were set free by an angel who unlocked chains that they could not unlock themselves. And then they got up in the morning and then they went and did what the angel had commanded them to do. And so, hey, this angel told me that I need to go here and do this. Whoa, bro, you're only supposed to be led by the Spirit. Whoa, man, you got to be careful with that stuff. We're not, you know, angels are talking to you and telling you to do stuff. You better be careful with that stuff. Sounds new agey. It sounds this, sounds like that. It's the devil, it's Satan, it's demons. The scripture just said that the disciples did as the angel had commanded them. Let me jump down. Hebrews 1, th- 1 verse 14. And this is where we have to either believe or not believe. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Are you inheriting salvation? Are angels then not sent to minister and serve and do what the Lord has commanded them to do and help us and partner with us according to the Lord's leading to accomplish the tasks that God wants us to accomplish? Spirit of God on us, angels around us. Spirit of God in us, through us, angels with us. And a lot of times we don't even think about angels being available to help us, help us accomplish the will of the Father. <clears throat> so, I want to hit on one last thing and then we'll be done because it's seven. I've been teaching for a long time. Um, I just want to talk about this one instance 
2 Kings 15 through 18. So it says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So here's what we have in this instance. We have this young man of God who goes and he's faced with an impossible scenario. Oh, crap, what are we going to do? There's more of them than there are of us. Horses and chariots and an army that are coming to take us out. I'm perceiving with my physical, I spy with my little eye that we're going to get pulverized by this army. And Elisha's like, nah, Lord, let him see. Because Elisha had his eyes on the spiritual and not on the physical. And so when he said, let him see, the guy wasn't blind. He saw the army. With his physical eyes, he was spiritually blind or had been blinded or not perceiving. And Elisha just prayed a simple prayer and said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And his eyes were opened and he saw into the spiritual realm what was actually taking place behind the veil of the physical. So let me just tell you, just because you can't see it, doesn't mean it's not happening. And if you have a heart and a desire to see, I believe the Lord will grant you eyes to see and ears to hear. And so I think that's where I just want to encourage us is to not limit what we think is possible, right? Just because we haven't seen it. People say, I'll believe it when I see it. But we live by faith, not by sight, right? We live by faith. And we have, this is a teaching I need to flesh out a little bit. But I believe just like our body has eyes, ears, nose, mouth, hands, right? We have senses. I believe our spirit too has those same senses. The aroma of Christ, that's not coming out of somebody's pores. That's a heavenly spiritual aroma of divine, of the divine. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We're not talking about, I really like the crackers at communion today. They must have gotten the good grape juice. That's not the taste and see we're talking about. We're talking about tasting in the spirit and seeing in the spirit. We're talking about touching, smelling, feeling the spirit of God, right? We commune with the Father by our spirit. It is by the spirit in us that we cry, Abba, Father. It's by the spirit that we communicate. He who has ears, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. We have to have spiritual ears to hear what a spirit is saying. Right? And a lot of times, some of these instances were not anything else that anyone could perceive. Right? So the servant goes out and he sees the army. Elisha standing there sees the army and sees the heavenly army at the same time. And he's like, you're not seeing what I'm seeing right now. And so I just want to ask, man, what do you think is possible? So let me read this last phrase and then we'll open it up for comments if you have any. So what is possible? 
It's possible that God has not left us to fend for ourselves, but has sent his spirit to dwell in us, and all of heaven's resources are available to us to accomplish what the Lord has willed for us to accomplish. Just real simple, that he sent his spirit to give us everything that we need to accomplish what he sent us to accomplish, and that all of heaven's resources, all of God's love, all of his grace, all of his forgiveness, all of his spirit, all of his heart, all of his mind, all of his will, all of his heart, his desire, all of his angels, right? And there's more beings in the heavenlies than just angels, right? In Proverbs, we hear about wisdom, lady wisdom, crying out in the street corner. You can say, oh, that's just symbolic, and I'll be like, well, sorry, you're, you'll never, you know, you'll never experience that. But I... I tend to get really excited about this week because there's just so much in scripture that we tend to overlook I think like you lay all this stuff out and tell me how do you explain any of this in a worldly physical logical worldly knowledge kind of way you just don't this entire thing is supernatural at its core and I think a lot of us a lot of the church has really minimized the role of the supernatural. Have you ever heard somebody say, you're, you're so spiritual, you're no earthly good? <laughs> you're, well, flip it. You're so earthly, you're no spiritual good. Ooh, you don't like that one, do you? And so this isn't to bash anybody, but again, this is to just ask the question, what's possible? Like, have I actually just gone to the Lord and said, hey, you know what? Like, I see this in scripture. You've been doing this. I haven't experienced it. If you want to show me and I want to see and like, I, I don't want to do this on my own. If you've got angels, and I hear this in prayer a lot through Christine and others who are engaging heaven and, and they'll say, all the angels who've been assigned to help accomplish this task, thank you for your help. Come be a part of it. Do what you're called to do. And it's just an acknowledgement of a partnership. Right? We do that all the time with people. Hey, if anybody here feels led, can you just, you know, you want to join in on this? We don't just have access to the physical people in our midst. We have the spirit and the, the angels, right? Like the Lord had will. He was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He sent angels to accomplish that. I'm just saying. And they were able to actually bring destruction into like manifest destruction upon a physical place. Like I'm just that's not, that's just me saying or asking the question again, what is possible, right? So have we considered the fact that maybe the Lord has angels to partner with us, to minister to us? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to those who are inheriting salvation? Lord, have you sent any ministering spirits that maybe I've not even been aware of? Like, is that something that you're doing? You know, I, if you have, then... I mean, thank you, and who are they? What are your names? What are you doing? What has the Lord sent you to do? Do you have a message for me? Right? You had a message for Daniel. You had, I mean, you had a message for Joseph. You had a met you, right? Like, is this not something that has taken place in Scripture that, in my opinion, sets a trajectory of what the Lord can and will do and wants to do and more with his angel army. Like, what do we think 
they're doing, just like standing around in a room like, well, I wish the end of the world would happen so we'd have more people in heaven. Yeah, I, what are they doing? What do we think they're doing? What do we think's happening in heaven? Well, wonder how that election's going to turn out. We're crazy, man. There's so much more happening than we even understand or know or realize. Just like Elisha's saying, show them what I'm seeing, right? So, amen. Jason looks so heavenly, flapping his wings. <laughs> Let me go back and read a couple of uh, comments, and then uh, we can take some questions. So, stop putting God in a box. Stop putting yourself in a box. Yes. Uh, ha ha, we don't have a team that goes there. <laughs> Can't a dream and vision be one in the same? Yeah. I always think dream is when you're sleeping and visions when you're awake. Like kind of like seeing when you're awake versus like having, yeah, same does kind of the same thing. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing the Santa Claus. <laughs> Trading into that heavenly storehouse, Andrea says. Uh, Joshua says, if you never dream beyond what you're, what's what? Possible? Yahweh will never give you the impossible. He respects your box. Oh. Oh, yeah. If you've never dreamed beyond what's possible, Yahweh will never give you the impossible. He respects your box. Wow. And Andrea says, no box for me, Lord. And as I say at the end of this I've said before at the end of this particular week, for me, I can look at the scriptures and I can have faith for these things and believe that they're possible and I can get salty and I can craft an argument against the naysayers, but I also have yet to fully step into and embrace angelic involvement and engaging beings and accessing storehouses of heaven and all of those things. That... I've stepped a little into it, but I've not stepped fully into it. And if you guys are a part of Christine's intro to Engaging Heaven class, you will learn and hear all about that. And that'll be starting in, what, two weeks? Yeah. 